Welcome to Beyond the Pink Cloud, the podcast where we talk about moving forward in our lives through recovery and navigating the world with grace, ease, and humor. We've got tools and strategies from the experts to help you live with less stress and increased ease. Let's get into today's episode. Hello, my sweet friends, and welcome to another amazing episode of Beyond the Pink Cloud. I do have a phenomenal guest today, Ms. Christy Hughes, who is a recently published author. She's someone I've had the great pleasure to work with quite closely earlier this year, actually last year, and she's a delight. She's a wonderful human. She shares very openly about her own story and transformation. So I know you will, um, I think you'll get a lot out of it and hearing her story and Definitely check out her book. It's it's pretty wonderful, and it's it's lovely to hear her talk about the story behind it with her her grandmother's stories interwoven with her own story through recovery and into being a published author. In other news, uh, let's see. I have a lot going on in my personal life. I'll make some some more public announcements about it some at some point soon. But definitely, there's a lot of change happening, which is exciting. And I will keep you in the loop on everything. I'm I'm still in a place of just holding things close for myself, um, but I am I, I am feeling incredibly expansive and really really grateful for so many aspects of my life and of of who I get to be as a human, and you know the work I get to do. And this podcast is part of that. And I'm teaching a really awesome workshop the this coming weekend. So it will be it's a two day online workshop through Yogaville, the Yogaville Ashram. And anyone is welcome to join. It's online. It'll be the 18th and 19th of September. It is called Calm, Resilient, and Wild, Unlock the Secrets of Your Nervous System. And it'll be divided into two sessions on Saturday, two hours each, and then one session Sunday morning. So it's not two full days. It's basically two hours in the morning Saturday, um, and I think just 90 minutes, actually, Saturday afternoon, and then two hours Sunday. And it'll be different. Each session will be different. There'll be kind of an introduction where we do understand and learn a bit more about the nervous system. And then Saturday afternoon is, I don't want to give too much away, but it's going to be dedicated more to artistic expression as we come into the practice of of exploring our essential selves and working with our nervous system through that. So I'm really excited about it, and it's great to partner with an organization like Yogaville. Everyone I've interacted with there is incredibly kind. So if that's something you're interested in, if you'd like some foundational tools of the somatic experiencing work that I do, if you'd like just a new way to look um, at yourself and at coming more into yourself, this is a great opportunity. So the link for that will be in the show notes. And I, I wish you all well. I hope that you are all coming into autumn with maybe with a, a sense of renewed, I don't know, renewed life for the change of season. Fall, I think, sometimes can offer that with the change in, in temperature and cool and crisp, at least from from where I grew up on the East Coast. Here in Southern California, it's still quite hot. <laughs> I'm sweating. <laughs> all right. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoy the podcast, please tell a friend if you can like and subscribe. That means a lot to me. You can even leave a positive review. I do read all of those and and very much appreciate the kind things that you have to say about the show. Please enjoy this episode with Christy and take wonderful care of yourselves. 
Hi, and thank you for joining us for another episode of Beyond the Pink Cloud. This is your host, Dr. Alice Kirby. With me today, I have the exceptional Christy Hughes. And Christy is the author of a recently published book. It's a memoir called Strong Roots, Wayward Soul. She is also the creator of We Are the Brave Kind, and she will certainly share more about that with us. Christy currently resides in Fort Worth, Texas with her husband and her two dogs, and they are on a pretty neat adventure right now. So we will definitely talk about that. They spend weekends on their central Texas homestead, which will someday be teeming with goats, pigs, bees, and veggies. And until then, Christy works full-time in the pet industry and spends much of her spare time writing or on the yoga mat. Thanks so much for being here. Well, thank you so much for having me, Dr. Alice. It's great to see you. Likewise, likewise, Christy and I worked together for a little while some months ago, and it's I was just so excited about your book. It's awesome. We talked a little bit when you were in the process of getting ready for publishing at that time when we were working together, and it's just really cool that it's done and it's out in the world. Yes, it is here. I, people have been sending me pictures of it in their hands, and and it's very surreal, but it's very exciting too. Yeah. So yeah. How do you feel about it? Like when you get those pictures and I don't know what, what, how is it to be a published author for you? It's so different. It's so interesting because like you said, you and I worked together during the writing process and to manage some feelings that were coming up. And so I've spent so much time figuring out how to handle, oh, darker feelings or, you know, sadness, anxiety, those sorts of things that it's almost been, how do I embrace this celebration and this, oh my gosh, I've done this huge thing. (laughs) Um, So it's certainly been wonderful, but it's, yeah, it's been interesting because I'm like, whoa, okay, it's here. And when you spend two years working on something, I think that's part of it too, is there, there had to be a point where it was pencils down. There had to be a point where it was ready to go to print. All of these milestones along the way that you feel like there's always something to be done. And now there is nothing to be done. I mean, in the sense of sure, there's marketing and different things to to help get it into people's hands. But in terms of the writing process, it is done. Whoa. (laughs) Yeah, it's exciting. And I love what you said, too, about like essentially having to like have that capacity to feel good and excited and and take that in. I mean, I say this all the time, but I think it's such, it's a skill that requires us to really be able to feel those things and, and take them in. So it sounds like you're enjoying it, which is great. Yes, I'm getting there. I think every time I get, and it's not about validation when people send me, oh, I love this book. And I know you're so proud of you. It, it's not about that. It's really that brings me joy because I know it's bringing them joy. And when they read the book and they say, oh my gosh, I I resonated with this part or, oh, I just love your story. You know, it's that it makes me feel good because I know it brings them hope. And so that's been this wonderful extension of that journey for me is to to help others find that hope and that triumph. So yeah, yeah, it's been great to, to talk to people about it. It's awesome. That is such a good feeling to know that you're like helping. And it's so cool with books and writing because it's recently published, but 10 years from now, it's like books are so timeless. And this is the written word where someone far into the future could pick it up and have that same resonance and it could change their lives. So it's like this longevity of the message, which I think is really special with something like having a book. Yes, yes. And that's the thing. I'm I'm working very hard on patience because you know the book's been out in the world a couple of weeks and people are recommending it to friends and it's going out spreading out by word of mouth. And then you look at some of the books that are, you know, 
Melody Beatty and Codependent No More and some of those messages that have that yes are timeless and have that longevity and you think yeah this is um, that this is going to be the right message for the right person at the right time so I, I love that that's yeah. an opportunity definitely is and would you mind telling us just a little bit about your story and because I know the the book is a memoir is it a partial memoir or would you just entitle it as a memoir. It's an interesting mix of themes. So it certainly covers my drinking story and and that journey and my path to sobriety. But I tied it back to my two grandmothers. And one of them was definitely my role model for compassion and kindness. And one who died when I was in college, I didn't get to know quite as well. But so I looked at their relationships and how my relationships, um, like love relationships tied in. I had a lot of codependency and my early adulthood. And so I write a lot about those relationships, not just about my drinking relationship. And then moving on, it was, I talked about, I talked about their spiritual spirituality and what mine looks like today. So I think that's been the great thing too, about writing it from such a multifaceted approach is that somebody can tap into any of those ideas and whether or not alcohol is their issue or hurdle or not, there's other things around codependency and spirituality and finding your authentic self that, so yes, the book covers a lot of topics, but it definitely walks through my uh, drinking story. I am, I'm happy to give a short version for the listeners today. If you'd like me to to jump in there. Sure. And it doesn't just have to be about your drinking either. I know we, we work with recovery on this podcast, but it's really like what also comes after that. So just anything. So people get a sense of who you are. If this is the first time that they're learning about you, I think it's always helpful for the audience to be like, Oh, that's uh, now I know her a little. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I am a native Texan, so I did uh, live in Arizona for four years of my life, but most of my life has been spent in Texas. So I grew up in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, which is where we're back uh, today. I had, my parents have been married over 50 years. I have a lot of, use the word longevity, I have a lot of longevity in the relationships in my family. I was not one of them, but I was raised with very stable home and in the church and just very, almost leave it to beaver. And so I think that's where it's been a challenge when I look back at, you know, where things I hate to say went wrong, but you know, that's where things took a turn. It's really in my teenage years. So whether or not that was hormones or peer pressure that all culminates at that time, I don't know, but I didn't have one major traumatic or triggering event that led me to alcohol. I was starting to have intensely low self-esteem, lack of confidence, lack of self-worth, so that I was really reeling from every rejection by a friend or rejection by a boy. And some of that led to self-harm and suicidal thoughts. And this was all 14, 15, 16. So I start, I started dabbling in alcohol around age 15. And I think you and I are similar in that regard. You know, just, you, you start to, to use it, but it's, and yes, it feels good and it eliminates those feelings but it wasn't really hardcore in high school. And you can't really get it that often when you're 16 (laughs) or 17 anyway. So it was, we we had off campus lunch, so we could go off campus and sneak into parents liquor cabinet. So I'm telling on all of my high school friends right now, but, (laughs) but we definitely, so when I got to college, that was really when it ramped up. And when I realized 
I had always been super studious and I made Dean's list my first semester at college. And then I realized it was way more fun to spend time at the bars. I love the attention that I got when I was drinking and carefree. I started blacking out. So I'd wake up in strange places, strange people. And I had this whole cognitive dissonance, I guess is the most clinical term around. I wanted to be this good Christian girl like I had grown up. And I really enjoyed the socializing and that lifestyle that came along with drinking. And I thought, oh, it's just, it's college. I'm, it's meant to be this way. But I had a lot of just things that happened during college and relationships, just toxic events that I really struggled. And then when I graduated from college, barely, um, <laughs> I, I got a I started my career and that was, okay, here's the turning point. Here's adulthood. I got a job that I loved. I had worked in retail from high school on and started my career in retail. So I got married around age 25. And I would say the drinking definitely subsided around that time. I I felt like here's this new role. So I'm a career woman and I'm a wife and I have these responsibilities. And so drinking, yes, it's fun, but it wasn't a crutch like it had been. Not a crutch for social anxiety because I had coworkers I liked and, and a husband. And so things were went along probably at a pretty normal level for about five years or so. When I have it, started having trouble in my marriage and it just, I was really focused on my career. Things weren't going the way I anticipated in my marriage. And when we divorced in 2009, so I, I was mid thirties, I guess. That's when the wheels fell off and <laughs> I, I jumped into a couple of different really toxic relationships, just men who spent a lot of time at the bar. I, of course, I had one for one year and one for another year. And both of them I met at the bar, spent as much time as I could there at the bar to spend time with them. The second one got more serious and I was 35 at that point. And I remember because I started thinking, this is not normal. I don't like who I am when I'm drunk and having an alcohol fueled fight with this person. And I started looking into moderation management and maybe, okay, if I can just drink less, we'll be okay. And that program in particular recommends 30 day abstinence. And I couldn't make it 30 days. I never could. And, and he wasn't supportive. And so I tried to do it on my own. I was stuck in this relationship where our, our alcohol was like a third party to the relationship yeah. or our alcohol use. I even went to an Al-Anon meeting during that time to, to figure out if, okay, if I could fix him, does it fix me? And just all the things, um, all the ways which we try to address the alcohol. And so finally I got a job opportunity in Arizona and I knew that relationship needed to end. And so I took this job in Arizona and I moved to Arizona in 2012 and it was the first time I'd ever left Texas. And it's one of those things where you could look at, well, we change things when we're drinking and we think, okay, I'm going to change this relationship or change this job or change something about my life. And really Arizona was a good move for me. I think it's the first time I really stood up on my own two feet, stood for what I wanted in my life. You know, yes, I had family here in Texas, 
family obligations, friendships, but all of that, I just needed to set aside and say, what does Christy want? (laughs) Christy wants to try something new. And so it was cool. I really enjoyed the job that I took there in Arizona. I, I met a man who's now my husband. So that was pretty amazing. And just, I turned 40 while I was there. And I think that's when I really started to think again, okay, something needs to change. The blackouts had gotten frequent again, and and I don't know that I thought I would have outgrown that or what would have changed about that. But the fact that I couldn't stop drinking in any particular night or event or going out with friends, the fact that I couldn't stop before I reached that point, I knew it was a problem, but I still drank five, six, seven drinks anyway. <laughs> and so it was, okay, what, what do I need to change? And I struggled for a long time. And I think every time I tried to stop on my own, anxiety really skyrocketed. And I had battled depression for 20 years. I think back when in high school, when I was having all of those self-esteem issues and I was in group therapy and, and then later got on antidepressants in college, I knew what that looked like. But the anxiety and these, this agitation that I would feel was new and I thought, well, if this is what being sober is like, I don't, I I can't handle this. And so I would always go back to drinking. And finally, when my grandmother died, she was almost a hundred. She lived this amazing life. And when she died, I thought, I've got to be back in Texas. I want to be close to my family. Family is so important. And she was so important to me. And so we moved back. And that was really when I got serious and it took me another couple of years, year and a half, I think, before I quit drinking. But she was such a compassionate and kind individual. And I felt like I felt myself slipping further and further away from who she was. And I don't think I realized what a role model she was until she died. She was always just my grandmother and an amazing grandmother at that. <laughs> but I realized after she died that she really was a role model and she was leaving this amazing legacy. And when I finally got into 12 step. I think about when we say, I want what that person has. And even though my grandmother, she never drank in her entire life. And, and she was raised very, very strict Christian. So a lot of that related to how she lived her life. But when I looked, I said, I want what she has. Well, she didn't drink and she was an amazing volunteer and compassionate soul and really strong friendships. And so I had tried everything else and I ended up taking up a neighbor's offer to go to a 12 step meeting. And so, yeah, that was really the change for me. I think I needed the structure and certainly trying on my own had not worked. Trying to willpower my way into sobriety hadn't worked. I had tried some other structured meetings, but just, I would think I was in denial about what a spiritual relationship I needed to help me through that and a relationship with a higher power and so I, I was very avid um, meeting goer for a couple of years. And then when COVID happened, um, that shifted a little bit for me. I'm in a women's creative sober group called the Unruffled. And so they started having hosting meetings every week. And so I started attending those. And so, yeah, it's been an interesting year in my recovery because I've 
with with those meetings going virtual and, and so many meetings going virtual, I've had the opportunity to just experience some other ways, other ways of thinking, other recovery methods, creating new connections with new communities. So it's been a really incredible year, despite all of, I mean, the challenges, it's been a miserable year in many ways for many people. But from a recovery standpoint, it opened me up to some really cool new connections. That's wonderful. And thanks for sharing all of that. I think so many people will relate to so much of what you said. So I'm I'm glad that you took us through the trajectory because I think for a lot of women, I, I see this a lot in the sober groups. And it was my experience too of like I had a pretty good childhood, you know. I didn't really have any major abuse or trauma. So what I, I see that there's almost like a stigma around that for people that can come get into the way. I don't know if it was like this for you where it's like, there's nothing wrong with me. Like I shouldn't have this problem or I'm, I can't be an alcoholic because I didn't have. And I think it's just always important not to get hung up on the language, but to do, it sounds like you did a ton of research for yourself and figuring out, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try this. And like, if these things aren't working, maybe it's like, let me just go ahead and try the 12 step. Cause I think for a lot of us, that is a, like a last resort, <laughs> a last resort thing. Cause <laughs> yes. unfortunately it's sort of stigmatized. And, but I think, and I would say this to anyone, if you're really, really struggling, then, I mean, it doesn't hurt to try it. And it can be extremely helpful if you've tried everything else and you're still really struggling, it doesn't hurt to try it. And I love the part where you said how your recovery's changed and that's, you're not quite as active in the same way as your first few years. And that was also my experience where I'm not AA or 12 step isn't really a huge part of my life the way that it was in early recovery. And just to know that our recovery paths can like adapt and grow and be fluid and change and open us up to all these wonderful things. So I, I love that you just shared all of that. But those two things I think are really important for all of us to be reminded of that nothing is like it's this way and then it's this way forever because nothing is that way. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And and I'll add too, I think that one of the, the great things about going into the rooms of 12-step program is that I did, I was referred to a home group who the women looked like me. I walked in and there were women my age and lots of women to connect with. And I think with any recovery path, it pays to to shop around different groups if you don't find that. And so I think that that's where sometimes people too, like I went into a smart recovery meeting and I didn't connect with the people in that room. And and I, that, I walked away from recovery for a little bit. So I think that's always a benefit too, is there are so many resources out there now. Even I talked to a friend who was not at the end of my end of the spectrum of drinking by any means, but I pointed her in the direction of some gray area drinking resources. And that, that fit for her. She really identified with the mommy wine culture and how to get out of that. And so I think that, yeah, it's wonderful that there's so many things available to people today. Yeah, agreed. It's it's a huge gift that there are and so much online now too, which if it's too much to go to in person, at least try something online just to dip a toe in. Just try something. I think if you're out there struggling and know that there's hope if you are listening and you feel like there isn't, like I hope that Christy's story and the things that I share can inspire you and and just know that we all deserve a, a really beautiful life. So why, how did you decide to write a book? Like after we heard your kind of your story and where you came from, and obviously you're a creative person and you're, you know, you have this creative women's group, which I love, but what, where did this, the seed for the book come in? Well, I think in... 2015, I was when I, I turned 40 and I knew, okay, I want to stop drinking and I want to change 
things about my life and this, the whole idea of that milestone birthday. And I started writing a blog around that time. And it was almost advice to myself, but in a way, advice to others too. And so I wrote this blog every week about motivation, inspirational living, and how to make positive changes. And so I had already tapped into writing. And then when my grandmother died, I said, I her, does, her story needs to be told. She's just lived an amazing hundred hundred years. And so I, I really wanted to tell her story. So I started with that. And I started with this foundation of, okay, I'm going to write this book about my grandmother. I worked with a writing coach and started getting stories down about her and our relationship. And then I hit writer's block because I realized that the reason she meant so much to me now was because of that inspiration to stop drinking. And so I really had to make a decision of, do I want to tell my drinking story? Do I want to write a book about my grandmother? Is there a way to do that together? And at first I thought it's two totally different projects. I've got to scrap everything I've done. I think I had 20,000 words at that point. And wow. I thought, I, I need to scrap it. It's got to go. I'm, I'm going to write a drinking memoir, you know, sobriety memoir. And then I really paused and thought about how can I intertwine these two stories? And so I just, I'm so, I think it turned into something so beautiful for that reason. And it took me a long time. I took a big pause after that too. And I thought, okay, well, I'd like to figure out how to work these two stories in together. And then I probably didn't write for a good 10 months. And that was when I, every time I would start to write a story that was more personal about me, it was very, very painful. And I didn't realize at the time how much healing I still had to do from a lot of those events that I thought were so far in the past that they didn't matter anymore. And it's so interesting to me. I, I finally understood there's a lot of literary resources out there who will tell you, oh, you'll heal, you know, writing is a way, writing a book is a way to heal. And it's not that I discounted that, but now I have lived that. <laughs> so absolutely. When I would write about situations with an ex-boyfriend that I felt like were essential to the book, but were very, very personal and touched a nerve. That was when I, I decided I needed to really enlist some help around what I've heard traditionally referred to as like shadow work. I read some books. That was about the time I started working with you because I just didn't know how to manage the things that came up that surfaced. And so that was, it was an amazing time in my life because I wasn't quite full force into writing yet, but I knew what needed to come out on the page and I was willing to do the healing work that it took to, to get past that, that roadblock. So it was, I'm, I'm so happy that that all happened the way it did, because I don't think I would have healed from those things and could look at the book as I had to continue to write and rewrite. You have to read those stories several times. And so when I'm talking about a very dangerous situation with an ex-boyfriend and I'm writing about those things, it's, I was reliving it the first time. And by the time I got to edit number three, I was much more objective about it because I had worked through some of that. You know, I'm thinking about that instance in particular because you and I talked about that one time and it was just 
by the time I got to the final version, and even now when I got my print version, I can read it and almost not in a dissociative sort of way, but I can read it and be so objective. And so I can look and say, wow, like, look at how far I've come. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I love that. The, the whole writing process. And it's wonderful that you worked with me and did other things. Cause I know you were doing quite a few things to support yourself therapeutically, emotionally, mentally. It sounds like such a transformative process, the whole avenue. And I, I don't think well, I know I don't necessarily think of writing a book like that, but like as a process that's so transformative, but it makes so much sense. Like, how could it not be? Yeah. It, it definitely caught me off guard a little bit in the sense that when I started to write these stories and thought that I could just write it all in sequence and and here we go, and I'm gonna end up with you know 70,000 words. And yes, between 20 and 40 and about 70,000 words, there were several you know, stops and starts along the way of, okay, I've got to, I've got to figure out how to handle this emotionally. And I think too, when I would get in that more emotional state, it became very hard to write and very hard to be creative. And I wouldn't force myself. And I think that's why I've heard from plenty of people in the publishing industry or in the book industry to, to be patient. But I think too, it, I didn't mind waiting because I knew I couldn't rush it. I needed to work through that stuff. And so it might, I've, I guess I've heard you, know, you should write every day. And that's really strong advice from people in the literary world to sit down and write every day. And I gave myself grace if I did not feel like writing on a particular day. And so I had some deadlines or milestones set for myself around word count and that sort of thing. And yeah, some weeks I would write like crazy and other weeks I'd say, okay, I just can't manage this right now. And that's okay. And I think for future projects, because I've got a couple brewing for future projects, it'll be a lot different because it'll be not so personal. And I will have been through this whole process once and I know yeah. how to hold myself accountable to word counts and deadlines. Definitely. And I think knowing that you've done it once, it just sort of boosts you up. So there's this inner knowingness of like, oh, I know I can do it again because I've already done it once. Do you feel like sharing about any of your upcoming projects or are they top secret at this time? Um, a little bit secret, but I think sure. I leave off in the book enough for people to know that, you know, the next chapter in, in my journey, my personal journey uh, will certainly be wonderful book material. And I also brought in my grandmother Gladys into the story. Um, not that Polly was the one who lived to be almost a hundred. And when I started learning about Gladys, I realized how similar we were. And so I think that her and my uh, grandfather have an amazing love story and I'd love to explore something um, based on that. So yeah, a couple little teasers there. Yeah, those, those are great. Did you, was it hard to find out? It sounds like you have a pretty close knit family and you're all in one place. Just the logistics of finding stories about your grandmother from when she was younger, was that difficult? Not too much so because Polly had lots of documentation of the, she was a historian for all of the churches that she was involved with. Oh. And so even though it was more about church history, she had a lot of documents of um, things, exercises she had done for Methodist women's group. And I think I'm leaving out the biggest piece, the nugget of information. I had recorded her on her 99th birthday. And so I had this amazing hour long interview with her. Right. So that was, and I, and I write about that in the book, how that was sort of the jumping off point to, to think 
like, okay, I have all these cool stories that she told me. My other grandmother, I have her diary that spans a couple of years. And I have a stack of letters that were from my grandfather to her. I don't have her responses. So that could be an interesting semi-fictional account of things. But yeah, so I really got to know them. And my grandmother, the one Gladys died when I was in college and she had dementia for several years too. So I, she was the very like soft-spoken sort of gentle, not very active grandmother. And so learning all of these things that she did more about her love story has just been fascinating. And so I'm so excited to, to understand more about that. It's, do you feel like you understand yourself more or differently in learning as you've learned more about your grandmothers and your ancestors, you know? I do. And that's, it's so interesting because we talk a lot now in personal growth about ancestral wounds and things that we know that we need to change to be better humans or better. And so it's so fascinating to me to be able to honor these women and realize the traits and the gifts that they gave me. You know, my dad said at one point, you know, Polly's people pleasing. And so I I know we've carried that down uh, several generations of people pleasing. So that's something that I'm always working on boundaries and recovery and emotional sobriety. But at the same time, she was a giving generous person. And that part, I'm so appreciative that she taught me at a young age and that she, she modeled that for me. And yeah, it's been really cool to see how they have instilled traits, whether it's nature or nurture into me that I can carry on today. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think it is really important when we talk about ancestral trauma or things being passed down through the ancestral lines. And one of my, I was going to call him a professor, but I don't think that's the right word. One of my mentors or my, my teachers, my most recent SE training, my final one, he was talking about that. And I really love that he brought it up where, you know, it's not just all the the negative things or the trauma that's passed down. Like, yes, that's there, but also can we look at what are some things that came in that are benefits and that we have, you know, the joy and the love and whatever else, if there's any particular things that also get passed down through generations. And it's nice just to keep the, keep room, I guess, to hold both or to look for a little bit of both and not just necessarily always dig for the shadow or for what's wrong, but to look to at the benefits that that have come from our ancestors. Yes. And that's why I, it, my hook for the book was going to be a story of sobriety, courage, and the timeless wisdom of grandmothers. And people kept saying, as I was finishing the book, you have so much tenacity. And so I changed it to a story of sobriety, tenacity, and the timeless wisdom of grandmothers. And I realized that tenacity came from these two women who were raised on a farm, who knew how to work hard, work in the dirt, do what they needed to do to get done. And that's how life was then. And that's the part that I never saw in my lifetime, but I feel like is living through me and now is part of my future. Yeah, definitely. Was it a, was it a process for you to kind of acknowledge and come into this sort of tenacity? And I guess I'm kind of thinking I'm sort of linking it or marrying it to some form of empowerment as well. Cause it, I don't know. What do you think about that? Does it feel like they're close kin, the tenacity and empowerment or how has tenacity kind of influenced your life? It's been very eye-opening because when I look at my drinking days, pre-sobriety, I gave up on everything. If it didn't come quickly, if results didn't workout program, diet, drinking program, whatever it was, if the results didn't happen right away, I was like, oh, this isn't for me. 
And so the tenacious part of it for me has been seeing the book through to the finish line to two plus years. And so when people were saying that, I was like, okay, yeah, now I recognize that I have the tenacity to see something all the way through to the finish line without giving up, no matter how hard it gets. And I think a lot of that stems from being able to, to get and stay sober. I've been sober for three and a half years. And so that's when it began one day at a time, staying sober. And then that really has become, I don't have those cravings anymore. So that's, and I won't say that I don't think about the the tools that I need to stay sober, but once the cravings for alcohol got out of the way, it was like, okay, how can I use that power, that empowerment and, and channel that into other projects and, and not that sort of desire to keep going and to see things through. And so that's, yes, it's a huge change for me. And now I know, just like you said earlier, that I can work on another project, a book project, and I have the fortitude to see it through for if it takes two years. And so that's interesting too, because I'm considering the whole like literary world and agent and publishing and book deals and and where that might go. And it feels very daunting because it is a business. It's a lot different than being able to write a book and self-publish it on Amazon. But, you know, I'm willing to try. Whereas before I'd be like, oh, first rejection letter. I'd be, I'm out. I was not Mm -hmm. built for this. (laughs) So, So yeah. It's so wonderful. Such awesome personal growth. And it must like, I know what I'm feeling right now. And I, yeah, I feel kind of like, yeah, like I feel empowered just talking about it. And I think some of that is like in the resonance of us communicating and what a cool change to, to be able to see that in yourself and to have this like really big deal, awesome project that you're like, that's mine. I did that. Did you self-publish? I did. Yes. Was that relatively yes. e- easy? I don't think easy is the right word, but relatively not super hard, maybe. <sighs> It was not super hard. <laughs> um, <laughs> I did enlist uh, the help of a couple of freelancers through Reedsy is a great marketplace for so a cover artist, Caitlin Alexander. I feel like I totally need to credit her. She did the, the artwork for the book and we get so many compliments on the artwork. The farmhouse on the cover of the book is actually a photo of uh, Gladys's family farm. And just, I love, I fell in love with her illustrations. And so I hired her to do this, this illustration for me. And she loves doing book covers as part of her artistic portfolio. So it was a great match. And then I did hire a developmental editor. um, And that was through networking, just through a friend I knew who writes as well. So yeah, I felt like I used, I invested in resources where I needed to, to make sure that I had a really polished book that would be not distracting in the sense that you could self-publish, put something together, put it out there. And if there's typos or grammatical errors, it might Mm -hmm. distract people. And so, you know, not knocking anyone that just wants to get their project out in the world, but I was very mindful about where I spent and and invested a little bit in these um, resources along the way. And then like when it came to typesetting and formatting, yes, I did all that myself. And so there were a lot of very frustrated evenings working within Word was, I don't know how to change this indentation. And and so that part in hindsight, I probably would have uh, benefited from someone who is an expert at that. But yeah, use the experts where I needed to, figured out the rest on my own. And here we are. It's awesome. I will definitely put a link for your book in the show notes and to your website um, so people can go and get a copy for themselves. And the artwork is beautiful. That's so cool. That was your grandmother's based on a picture of her farm. It's so perfect. 
Yes. And I have another uh, image illustration that was my other grandmother's that's called Home on the Range. And it was a picture from the 1930s that we have. And so we kind of combined those two. And so there are elements of both grandmothers in the artwork. It's wonderful. So what's next for you? I know you and your husband are kind of on a journey and you have your land and your, like, move, you've got some exciting things with that project. Do you want to share any of your kind of your pathway of what you're building? Sure. So we are currently living in a travel trailer because we sold our house back in June. So exciting. We just, yes. We took advantage of the hot market and had thought we would just downsize. And we really downsized. (laughs) It was very freeing, getting rid of a lot of things. But our ultimate goal is to live on our 20 acres in in Central Texas. The one that you mentioned will be teeming with all kinds of fun livestock and, and plants and veggies. And so we dabble a little bit in that. Now I garden, but it's really hard when you can only water on the weekends. But I really would love to host retreats. And so when I started, I... I created a DBA, the brave kind last year, and I was doing some different things and figuring out, did I want to coach? Did I want to, I am certified in Reiki. So I do Reiki every now and then. Um, So I had these different avenues that I was exploring and I really decided um, that that is my ultimate dream is to host retreats, whether that's yoga retreats or writing retreats would be really cool now that I'm getting into that world. So, and I love that my husband has got, he, it's always just been, okay, we'll have a hobby farm and he wants to raise cattle and goats. And now he's really embraced this idea too. So we have a little tiny house shell that we've dropped on our land and we'll be fixing that, building that out, a DIY project. And so we're going to just work little, one little cottage at a time and hopefully have a few out there eventually that we can host people. So that's so fun. That comes to life. Yeah. Yeah. It's so cool that you guys are both invested in the project too. And like you have this goal of doing it together and little things to work on. Well, big things, I think formatting a a tiny home is a pretty huge project, but it's nice when there's a common goal, I think. Yeah. And that he loves DIY handyman building things. I love getting out there and working in the garden or taking walks with the dogs. And so we both get so much pleasure out of being out there. And I, I see that unfolding for our future too, that, you know, yes, he, he wants to get these small, the smaller cattle breed. And so he's going to have his livestock to tend to, and I can be the hospitality director. (laughs) Yeah. It's just been great. And so I think, and I'm so appreciative that he has been such a supporter of my sobriety too, because we met in a bar. So who knew that eight years later, we'd be starting this whole new chapter for ourselves. That's awesome. And you're the place where you're, you are, it looks pretty spacious. I know you said it's like a travel trailer, an RV, but it looks pretty roomy from what I can see. Yes. So if you get the ones that have a lot of slides on them, mm-hmm. then the, the, you know, they slide out. And so, yeah, it's, I mean, it's probably the size of a, you know, relatively decent studio or one bedroom apartment. So, um, I don't know. I think I calculated it. It's about 300 square feet and we're in an RV park and tiny home community. So across from us, there's a whole row of tiny homes, like actual constructed tiny homes. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty cool too, because there's a lot of permanent residents here. And so we'll be here for the foreseeable future. It's, um, 
it's affordable. It's a great way to put our money into our future project. And so, yeah, it's been an, an, a fun adventure. It's we got to go out and walk the dogs. And so that's been an adjustment for all of us. The dogs not having a dog door and yeah. little things like that. But I have lots of plants crammed into this 300 square foot space so that I can have my nature indoors. It's wonderful. Yeah. It's so necessary too. And Oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm like a 300 square foot space in San Diego would be like a shade under two grand. So wow. It's so expensive. It's so stupid expensive. So I think that's great. And it, I think it, does it, for me, it feels really good to like forcibly downsize things and get rid of a lot and do a bit of like purging and really recognizing what I love or what I want to have around me. Was that a, like a fun process for the two of you? Fun may not be the right word. Well, I I did. I kind of got addicted to selling things because when you get that financial return on something, you're like, oh, I can sell this and I can sell this. And so we were walking around the house. What can we sell? The Facebook marketplace and all of that. Now, I did have a lot of, you know, people, of course, haggling on price or or no shows. And so you're dealing with all of that headache. But yes, for the most part, we had a lot of fun with it. And we, we kept thinking about it in terms of goals. So, okay, we sell all of these things and that will pay for our storage unit for a year because we did get a storage unit for furniture that we'll use eventually in the in the tiny house on the land. Sure. And so we tried to be mindful about what we kept. My husband has a ton of tools that needed to to stay accessible to us different things. So yeah, so we have storage, but that was great because we thought, okay, well we've we made enough to pay for an entire year of storage. That's so smart. And thinking about the financial goals. So yeah. yeah. That's really smart. You seem very well organized. Like I remember you have that system with the sticky notes. I was thinking about you and I was in Staples the other day and I was like, Oh, there's like this pack of all these colored sticky notes. Like I should reach out to Christy and ask her to remind me about that system. She seems more organized than I am. And I could use help with that. I still use the sticky notes. Yes. I was wondering. (laughs) All of my to-do things. Yep. (laughs) You might get a follow-up email from me. I'm like, tell me about the sticky notes. Okay. I'd be happy to. Any piece of advice. I usually like to ask my guests kind of as we're starting to wrap up, like any piece of advice for anyone who wants to write a book or just any words of wisdom for anyone who's, you know, maybe struggling with sobriety or maybe is sober, but kind of in that place of, well, what's, what's next? How do I channel this energy? Like you were saying of being able to take that tenacity and, and move it forward into another project, any words of wisdom or a piece of advice that you'd like to share? Well, I think when I think about both of those things, writing and sobriety, I really leaned into connections and networking. And while I have been the shy wallflower introvert in my pre-drink or my drinking days, I would say I'm not that way at all today. So it's been, it's been a lovely gift of sobriety. I feel so much more free and outgoing, but I would lean into that. So I, for example, somebody said, oh, my brother-in-law is an editor. I went out on a limb and I emailed him and I said, where do I start with, with writing? And he has been a great resource this whole time. And same with sobriety. I started by reaching out to people who were sober. How did you get sober? What method did you use? I had friends who went rehab, counseling, 12-step, smart recovery. So I was willing to have those conversations because I knew I wanted to change, didn't want to stay where I was at. And so... I was willing to have those conversations and that really opened the door to a lot of different things. Think about with the writing too, like I said, that opened the door to working with a developmental editor who was amazing and just did it as a, a side gig. So it wasn't as expensive as it would have been, you know, going with someone professional. So it, yeah, I think just 
tapping into the resources that are closest to you so that you feel like maybe there's some connection, a friend of a friend or someone, you know, that, that might feel like you can be more vulnerable in having those conversations. And then just like we talked about, there's so many resources on the internet that's accessible. It can be a little bit overwhelming for sure, but from a writing standpoint, from a sobriety standpoint, there's um, so many different recovery paths today than there were, I think even 10, 20, 15 years ago when I was kind of dabbling in in it. I remember being on like old school chat forums and things. and, And yeah, so we think that, and just small steps with writing. It was like, I couldn't even think about the publishing aspect. It was just, I'm just going to write 5,000 words this week. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. if you can stay, if I can stay sober this week, that's, you know, so yeah. Yeah. It's good advice. I love the idea of just reaching out to people that are close to you and seeing what comes back. And I feel like that does lead to so many amazing connections when you just start even having those conversations. Well, thank you so much, Christy, for taking the time to come in and talk to me. If there's anything, any projects or workshops or anything you have going on that you want to pitch or where you'd like to direct people, and we'll make sure all of your links are in the show notes, but feel free to to pitch anything you'd like to for people. Well, I'm really focused on the book right now. So that came out August 23rd, Strong Roots, Wayward Soul. It is available on Amazon, looking at what other avenues might be in the future. But right now it's on Amazon. It's on Kindle. And right now it's uh, Kindle Unlimited. So if you have Kindle Unlimited, you can actually read it for free. And yeah, my Instagram is the underscore brave kind. I try to share lots of inspirational content there and about courage and compassion. My website is wearethebravekind.com. And I still am, am open to offering Reiki sessions. I just uh, had put all of my efforts for the last year or so into seeing the book through to the finish line. So yeah, I would love for people to uh, read the book because I think that it's got a little something for everybody. It certainly sounds like it. Yeah, it sounds awesome. And congratulations. It's such a huge deal. It's really something to be amazingly proud of. Thank you so much. You're welcome. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. And you can check out all Christie's uh, links in the show notes. And we will see you next time.